0: Hey, everybody, let's do it. It is time. It's David Summers hosting another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the only podcast on the planet documenting the real story of professional wrestling. It's 100 years of rich wrestling history as told by the stud. Please welcome the originator of the stud cast, the man who changed the podcasting world with the super stud cast. We step back into the ring, back into time. He's the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller from the great hills of tennessee what's up rye
1: oh man uh glad to be here as always uh not so pretty here today uh you know uh, across the country here we especially down there where my brother is in tampa you know they're having a little bit of a of a nasty day uh, got a first little hurricane of 2021 i guess uh coming uh coming on board or so uh, you know uh, things are things are not as good for in some places, but uh, here in Tennessee in the mountains, man, it's it's lovely. So you
0: haven't heard from Rob, who's trying to bunk with you by now?
1: Oh man, I, I talked to him. We had a long conversation last night, and Rob's always one of those guys that's worried to death, and you know, and it wasn't quite the hurricane speed, but you know, he'd yeah. done everything. He'd made all his preps, man. He says, you know, uh, we'll know in the morning when I wake up. You
0: know, he's sitting in the closet with a football helmet on.
1: Probably so. All
0: right, that's awesome. All right, your new YouTube channel, that is awesome. Southeastern Rewind is having a big week. Your spectacular tribute earlier this week to Mac McMurray, the man who saved Southeastern, the extra, has really touched a lot of hearts. There are so many wonderful stories in that tribute, Ron, about a great man with a huge heart for both man and beast. This is the kind of programs that are going to make your Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel absolutely huge. It was a lot of fun to do and to think and and just memorialize Mac for a few minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that was I was proud to do that, and uh, gosh, uh, I, I was. I was pleased to be able to do it. And uh, and you're right, Dave. We've got a whole lot coming, man. Uh, we're just getting rolling here on this YouTube thing. And uh, besides the two new original archive studcasts that we put out every week, uh, two new ones, and uh, we just, we already, uh, we're up to number eight now. where to be the next one that goes out. And uh, those those uh, archived uh, studcasts are followed three days later by what's becoming a pretty popular little show. Mm-hmm. One that's never been heard before uh, Call, Tell Me More, and it's our little question and answer show after each of those, and I've been enjoying that, too.
0: Absolutely. A ton of fun and learning so much that we may have missed or just was not there on that particular episode of the Studcast from way back when. So for those that have never listened to one of these Tell Me More question and answer shows... You, you really, you really do make them great stud. They're fast becoming a fan favorite fans send their questions for two days after an archived stud cast is released, as you said, and then you answer five of those questions the third day after the release. Sometimes you tell more stories. You're you've been accused of that a few times in the answer to the questions than you did in the original stud cast.
1: Well, you know, I get kind of carried away, man. I kind of enjoy it and, uh, you know, and once I start uh, telling one story, i got a uh, two or three more that pop into my head so so I have a lot of fun man on those tell me more shows and uh and there's uh two new shows like uh like we just said every week and there's all two new uh original stud cast every week so uh the rewind is actually beginning man it's just beginning Dave
0: oh that is for sure in fact on friday this coming friday july ninth twenty twenty one southeastern rewind proudly presents. It's Next Extra. Following the Mac, the man who saved Southeastern Tribute, Ron, listen, I'm going to give you the honor of telling everybody what's coming next on your YouTube channel. It is absolutely huge.
1: Well, it certainly is, man. And I'm really, really excited about this one. And I'm proud to present it, too. It's, it's a, it's a never-before-heard, anywhere-in-the-world Terry and Dory Funk Jr. Uh, interview. It was recorded on August the 9th, nineteen ninety four, and it was done by Les Thatcher. Uh, it's never been edited, and uh, you know. And uh, when the fans listen to it, they're gonna they're gonna hear the studio, uh, the uh, control room upstairs talking to them. Uh, it's it's really an unusual piece, and uh, Les has a really long and extremely candid conversation with the brothers. This happened twenty seven years ago. And this will be the first time it's ever been heard anywhere on the planet. So, uh, and as you say, Dave, uh, this is the second extra. You know, the the first extra that we did was that uh, Mac uh, tribute, which uh, I was really, really happy with. And this is going to be our second YouTube extra. And I think fans around the world are going to be talking about this one for years.
0: Oh, no doubt. I mean, it's things like this that that get wrestling fans so excited around here, Ron. Your connections to old school material like this Funk Brothers interview is going to make Southeastern Rewind one of the most popular sites on YouTube, on the Internet. In fact, if you have not subscribed yet, go to YouTube, Southeastern Rewind right now. We'll wait. Go ahead. Go ahead. Join us and ring the bell icon will ring your bell when this first time ever heard Funk Brothers interview is added to the channel. So you cannot miss this. All right. Where are we riding to today, Stud?
1: Man, we're we're going all over today, Dave. I mean, gosh, we're going to my father's ranch Uh, in today's training. uh, It's going to be on the opposite side of Tennessee from Knoxville uh, in the little town called Bolivar. Uh, I'm going for a little bit of rehab there after my second Garvin injury, and I'm going to spend some time with my dad, uh, quite a bit of time, actually, exploring the potential uh, purchase of Ohio from the Sheik. We're also going to be looking at the NWA title card of June 24, 1977. Bob Armstrong is going to be taking my place against Harley Race because I've been hurt at this point by the... Second time that Ronnie Garvin had jumped off the top rope for me, and another great TV is going to be in this studcast today that promotes that card. It's going to contain a Harley interview, a Harley race interview. It's going to contain a video of a female fan costing Robert Fuller a southeastern title win. It's going to it's going to have the Mongolian stomper live. It's going to have Joe Duke live. It's going to have Ron Wright live. I mean, uh, fans are going to get the results of the card and the attendance figure. Later today, and the learning tree question is about the 1977 split of the Memphis Territory between Jared and my partner, who at that time, his partner, rather, was my father, Buddy Fuller, Mm -hmm. and they are beginning to have a war against Roy's former partner, Nick Gulas.
0: That is another great one lined up, Ron. So much going on in 1977, especially on NWA championship nights. Mr. Pickles and I are both raring to go. So, where do we go to first?
1: Well, we're, we're going to head out, man, into this today's training, and uh, we're going to be wearing the hat that we don't wear very often, man, and that's the owner's hat. So, as I talked about, uh, we actually talked about this in the last uh, today's training and last week's uh, stud cast about. Uh, you know, they, we were going to get the answer. You left me a question about what was I going to be doing, you know, after I got hurt June 10th, 1977. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we're going to go back and answer that question about where we're going to ride. And then we're going to be on the far side of the state, Bolivar, Tennessee, on my father's ranch. And uh, my father and I have been talking a lot. Uh, since that april 1977 harley race night in which we broke the all-time record in knoxville coliseum for a sports event and we were talking about expanding southeastern either by uh picking up areas around it or by buying another territory somewhere and duplicating what we had done or what i had done basically in southeastern and you know uh And we started looking basically at the just north of my territory in the state of Ohio, the Sheik's Territory, which was really in bad shape in 1977. So this time, uh, my injury, the one again from Ronnie Garvin, actually happened at a good time rather than a bad time because it made it possible for me to. To go to my dad's and spend some time with him, and uh, Rob was there and running business, and and I could totally get away from my company and kind of focus on something else. It's really my first period of of in uh, a long time where I've had any time off, and uh, this one comes at a good time because it gives my dad and I time to sit down and talk about the future. So um, after my injury, weeks before, I didn't uh, you know I didn't go to last week's card in, uh, Chile park. And I'm not going to be at this week's card in Chile park, which is a world championship match. And, uh, because I'm already on my dad's ranch. And so, uh, Rob and I, we're talking back and forth every day, working together on the TVs, on the future cards that coming up on any angles that we have in mind. And, uh, we're also spending as much time as possible. Um, uh, me and dad discussing Ohio. So, uh, and it was obviously our first choice for a second territory
0: but why was why ohio for your first choice
1: well uh basically it's the population i mean uh it, and there it, it was the closeness of all these major cities in that state they mm-hmm. were kind of all grouped together and uh, it, you know population was just amazing in 1977 ohio had almost 11 million people living in that state oh, hello yeah Yeah, hello. Yeah, that's what I said, me and dad both, you know, when we got to looking at that figure, it was the seventh most populated state in the country and uh, the 10th most densely populated state in the country. So as an example, you know, Tennessee was roughly, uh, you know, similar in size to Ohio, obviously different shape state, but, uh, you know, similarly sized, but uh, Tennessee only had four and a half million people. So that was much less than uh, than half the population of Ohio.
0: Yeah, quite a contrast. And
1: yeah, when you consider all these major cities they had there and the huge arenas that were in all those cities, the phenom- the phenomenal potential was there, and and Ohio is being a huge wrestling market. So the biggest thing we had going for us in Ohio was the fact that the Sheik's talent was not nearly as strong as what I had in Knoxville in 1977. Dad, and I talked about that. He realized and recognized I had tremendous talent for a small territory. Uh, His territory, uh, talking about the Sheik, had been dying for several years. But my Southeastern had been exploding in the last two years before this 1977 time frame. So another thing that greatly separated my company from the Sheiks was my TV show my TV format, and the quality of the production that we were doing, it was basically light years ahead of the sheiks.
0: I want to ask this. If you took the same crew you had in Knoxville to any given place in Ohio, do you think you would have been as successful?
1: I think definitely would have been as successful. I think it would have taken us some time and some television exposure, but I believe the quality of my crew was so much better than what he his was, and, uh, and we were doing a whole lot of wrestling that they weren't doing up there. The Sheik had a style where he just liked to go in there. a lot of times he didn't hardly get to the ring before he was disqualified. <laughs> a whole lot of blood and stuff like that. It was well, just yeah, it was different. you know I mean, it was totally different uh, the way the companies were run. Sort I of a, believe hey. we'd had huge success.
0: Sort of a mayhem style from the Sheik.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he didn't allow everybody to do it. It was just his gimmick. And, uh, boy, he did his gimmick big time. And he (laughs) made a point of doing it every time.
0: All right. But so so, what are you and your father focusing on in the early summer of 77?
1: Well, actually, we were focusing on the major cities first, of course. I mean, uh, we were looking at the TV stations. that was in those cities. And uh, especially at the ones in which the Sheik was on. And uh, we were trying to procure the TV ratings from those stations so so that we could tell, uh, you know, what kind of audience they had and where they were building audience or losing audience. Uh, we were uh, looking at the buildings and uh, which buildings were, were going to be the right choice if we got into those major cities. And then we needed to know who runs those buildings. I mean, there's so much work. And and trying to figure out if this is going to work or not, uh, that it was it was really amazing at how how much time we spent on it, and then we had to talk about any other contacts that we had in some of those cities that might help us in making the decision whether to buy the territory or not, you know. And at the same time that I'm over there in uh, in Bolivar, Tennessee, uh, there's a city right next to it, Jackson, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And it's always been a great wrestling town. And my dad at this time was running Jackson, Tennessee for the, uh, his and Jarrett Memphis territory on that side of the state. He was having matches there every week. And Roy, my grandfather was living on the farm. You know, he had retired a couple of years earlier. He gave my father's blessings to run Memphis and, uh, you know, and become partners with Jerry Jarrett and, uh, And uh, they were doing very, very well together. Uh, Roy actually lived on my dad's ranch Mm. in one of the many homes there, you know. And uh, dad had, you know, dad had him a full-time caretaker that lived there with him 24 hours a day, took care of him. And uh, Roy was suffering from Alzheimer's at that point. And while I was there, and it's it's over a period of uh, more than a month, Mm-hmm. I visited with Roy just about every day. Every time I had the chance, I went to see him. Wow. What was that
0: like, Ron? I mean, did he recognize you? I mean, how how did that go? Did he call you by name, anything?
1: Oh, well, you know, I mean, having experienced Alzheimer's with my father, too. Uh, Roy's Roy's Alzheimer was probably in the worst, worst uh, than my dad's at this point when I was with Roy. Yeah. And he... He, he never, he never knew my name. He never called me by name. But uh, usually, when I would go in the door, I'd get a smile from him, and yeah. uh, and, and that was to me uh, that was enough. You know, I yeah. I didn't expect him to be able to do much more. Uh, that's such a terrible, terrible disease, and it is. It is. Uh, yeah. It's 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 just horrible, horrible to see what happens to people with it. But yeah. it was my first experience with it, and I was just happy to be able to go and see him every day.
0: Yeah and a lot of families are affected now I was affected my mom uh had dementia and alzheimers so it it, it affects d- uh, different different folks different ways and then how you are are able to deal with them so that's that's really interesting Ron all right kind of a lesson about what went into the research of wrestling promoters before they made decisions to buy other wrestling businesses back to what you were talking about well, so what else were you doing uh, with this downtime, uh, obviously, you're still recuperating from your injury, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not in a position to start wrestling, you know, that's for sure, go back to work. And uh, it's probably a good thing I couldn't or I probably wouldn't have been there. It gave us plenty of time to talk about it. And, yeah, we were doing this research that promoters had to do. If you're going to buy another business, another territory, you need to learn as much as you could about it before you made a big mistake. Mm-hmm. So you know, at, uh, that's a. And then uh, you know, what else I was I doing during this time? You know, I, I'm afraid to. You know, uh, we we got a whole lot to talk about in this program, Dave. I wish. And that, you know, gosh, we're kind of like we were in last week's studcast when we yeah. got to this point. Uh, you asked me a question that turned out to be this. This <laughs> one's uh, today's training, and now you've asked me a question that I think's going to be a good one for the next one because. Uh, I'm going to be doing something crazy, you know. Uh, in the in in as this goes, this little vacation over there with my dad and the recuperation with right. my dad, it's going to turn a little bit crazy. So, so we're going to do that next week. We're going to make next week's subject to find out what I was doing during this downtime. All right, sounds like
0: a plan to me, Stud. Why don't we take our first look at that NWA World Title card in Shell Park Amphitheater? Friday night, June 24th, 1977. Lay it out for a stir.
1: All right, man. Uh, you know, this was the first ever Southeastern NWA title match in Chihaui Park. Every Southeastern the NWA title match previous to this one had all been held in the Coliseum. So, uh, you know, we're taking this one outside.
0: So why? Why not in the Coliseum? How did you make that that decision? And it's summertime.
1: Yeah, well, you know, uh there's two good reasons for that, Dave. Uh, you know, the Coliseum one of the major reasons is the Coliseum had booked that night. And uh and I was planning on moving out to Chihuahua Park uh, way way before this night came anyway. Uh but that was only a small part of the reason. For this whole deal you know we had turned people away in the coliseum on uh on that april 28th card with harley race for the world championship and uh you know broke the all-time record and uh and i just had a feeling that this big old huge amphitheater out there in shill park might just hold more people than the coliseum <laughs> you know and uh and in order for me to find the answer to that question i had to Take this big event out there because I knew it was going to be another big monster event, and see just how many we could put into the amphitheater out there, mm. and uh, then I'd know once and for all which venue was the biggest. All right, that kind of makes sense. So, uh,
0: what about the card for that night? What was uh, what kind of lineup?
1: Oh man, uh, we opened the show uh, with a wrestler man that had been uh, drawn many many huge crowds into the amphitheater in Chihuahua Park as a main event over the years. And the mere fact that this guy is on the opening match on this card is a real testament to our talent. How far we had come with the with the great talent. Uh, this opening match is Ron Wright facing mm. off against a guy named Grady Odom. Wow. Okay. Uh, second match is Mike Pappas, who was a very very good Greek wrestler, and uh, he was a fan favorite in Knoxville because the former promoter was also a Greek named John Kazana, and he had used Mike Pappas a lot. So Mike Pappas is coming in, and he's going to wrestle Norvell Austin. The third match was pro. The, the pro, Doug Gilbert, uh, under the mask, that had defeated Ron Wright the week before. He was wrestling wildfire, young wildfire Tommy Rich. And the uh, next event on this big card was for the Southeastern Tag Belts. It was Mr. Knoxville and Bob Wharton Jr. and They were defending their titles against the former champion, Tony Charles, and my brother, Robert. Fifth match was the first ever meeting between Joel Duke and the Mongolian Stomper, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. And it wasn't a title match. There was no special stipulations on it whatsoever. But this match is going to set the tone for all the matches in the future between these two giants, man uh they're going to rock the chill Highway park man that's for sure and then the main event was obviously the nwa world championship Harley race making his second southeastern appearance as world champion against bob armstrong who was taking my place after i got hurt
0: wow that's a tight that is a tight lineup right there uh, another great card stud so i can't wait to hear the attendance for this one i'll bet it's I bet it's I bet it's time for one of those fantastic TV shows that's been happening happening every week, especially since it leads up to this title match, right?
1: Oh yeah, man. You know, uh, it, it 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 had to be. I mean, we've been rocking with these great TVs for three or four weeks in a row, and uh, wow, this one this one's going to have its moments too, man. So you know, after less, I'm gonna start right into it, man. After less, I ran down the TV cart, Cameras backed away from the close-up uh, to that weekly, you know, still shot that we pretty much opened the, most of the shows with. Uh, and this one was a truly shocking picture. I'd never been to anything like this uh, when we backed away uh, to get the shot. Uh, there was a woman in the ring standing over my brother. She had her purse raised over her head, and, uh, and it looked like she was intending to bash him with it right in the face. <laughs> All right, that that,
0: that kind of (laughs) seems like unfinished business from last week. But go ahead.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you know, so after hearing the results of this match from last week's studcast, you know, uh, so it was really, really unusual, man. So the you know, so that's sitting there at the set now, and this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but actually, it did make a lot of sense. There's that shot of this woman in the ring. And she's about to bash Rob. And mm-hmm. then when they open to the widescreen, there's gorgeous George Jr. sitting there in the Mongolian stompers <laughs> behind him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wearing the southeastern belt. And uh, you know he's he just he's really cranking away on that huge old truck shock that right, you know, right. he was always with and uh you know so so you know that uh, everybody everybody got the idea. You know uh, what this gorgeous George got to do with this, and so that's what they less wasted no time. He got right to it. So he asked the director Bill Kincaid, "Please back that video up." And then he turned to Gigi, and uh, and he says, uh, "You know, he says uh, you you were banned last night from the from the ringside." And he goes, uh, "He goes, uh, I got to ask you. You know, uh, uh, what can you tell us about that woman?" <laughs> that was in that shot we just saw uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so Gigi, being the being the worker he was man he he kind of looked in shock at the question and he and he kind of got a little mad and he said so you know something like uh you know he said he said absolutely nothing he says i know nothing about that woman thatcher <laughs> and uh, then Gigi just kept going man it, it's kind of like uh he, he he went on attack you know so and he said, so, "You know, said is is that why you insisted that my stomper and I come out here and be with you on the beginning of the show today? Are, are you less that you're insinuating that that ugly woman could be me?" <laughs> and, and, and then he says, uh, "He says, you know, no wonder my father, the great gorgeous George, was so angry with people like you, because you're jealous of of his beauty and my beauty." <laughs> and so, <laughs> So that really threw Les for a little bit of a loop, right? You know, so the video got backed up by this point, and Les asked him to run it. He said, "Well, go ahead. Well, we're going to watch this, and you, you, you can just comment on it." So it it opened up with a shot of the referee being sent out of the ring, and then Rob put the stomper in the fuller leg lock, and that left Rob on his back and pretty helpless. You can't do anything when you've got that hold on somebody. Mm-hmm. But boy, Rob was cranking away on the stomper's leg and he was basically waiting on the ref to get back in the ring and uh, and and the stomper to to give up and him to be the new champion. And then suddenly this hefty woman appeared in the video, man. She entered the ring. She had on a long (laughs) dress. She was kind of hobbling on high heels. Uh, And and, uh, so Les asked the director at this point, he says, stop the video right there. (laughs) So he turns again to Gigi. You know, and um, and he says, uh, you know, he asked him, uh, uh, do you know who this woman is? And Gigi looked at him disgustedly, and he said, uh, you know, he says, Lester, Thatcher, I was banned from ringside for this match. He said, I wasn't even in that park, anywhere in that park. Sure. He said, I was sitting alone by myself at my home when this occurred. Yeah. And then he says, but after seeing this film, he says, I think. It was probably one of that pretty boy, Robert Fuller's angry (laughs) girlfriend that wasn't fond of his promiscuity. Uh (laughs) And then he says, you know, I believe I've seen her before in the parking lot with him just a week or so ago,
0: right?
1: Uh and And he says, you know, sadly for him, she obviously cost him the championship. And she probably had a good reason. Mm. Mm. How about that? <laughs> well, well, the studio fans—they didn't like it. They—they they erupted, man. They were booing, man. They, they and he screamed for him to shut up. Now, obviously, that only intensified the booze, man. It made it even worse. So, Les started again, man. You know, he wasn't going to give up on it. You know, he wanted the truth, and he—he he cut. He, but he, Gigi, just cut him off before he ever got to say much about you. You—you saying that's not you? And uh, he just he changed the kind of changed the tone really big time, and he got kind of uh, uh, serious. And he said, you know, unless Les Thatcher, you have proof that that harlot in that video is me, you better refrain from further accusations. Or you and Southeastern <laughs> Wrestling are going to be in big trouble. He called her a harlot. Okay. A harlot. Yeah, that harlot. He says, yeah, You think 1977. Me, right? I know. Oh, I mean, this, you know, Gigi is really on it this day. Yeah, you know? yeah. And he says, Then then he says in the deal, he says, uh, You know, uh, he says, um, My father left me a fortune in that. And he says, I have some of the best attorneys on the planet. He mm-hmm. says, Go any further, and you and the company you work for shall hear from them he added you know i told your employer southeastern wrestling two weeks ago that banning me from ringside was a mistake he said last week ron fuller was tragically injured and i'm so sorry for it and 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 look what happened this time he said if only i had been there at ringside where i was supposed to be he said i might have kept robert fuller's slut from costing him the southeastern championship (laughs) (laughs) wow he turned that thing around oh boy (laughs) gg's having himself a ball and so less is kind of you know he's pulling his hair out a little bit here you know and then gg after he finishes that spill, he calls rob's girl is is is, is, her rob slut the the reason he lost the championship he got up and he took his stomper to the ring stomper was in the first live match and when he got there, he spent a lot of time on the floor explaining to him how he wanted him to destroy that opponent over there, you know. And, uh, boy, when he turned the Stomper loose, that's exactly what Stomper did. It was horrible. He just went in and just demolished this guy, man. And uh, and uh, by the time, only a few minutes, we are only a few minutes into the opening of this show, and gorgeous George Jr. had more heat right then than he had ever had since he got there.
0: I don't really think this is how Les uh, wanted the show to open. I don't think it's what he had in mind initially.
1: No, no, it it certainly (laughs) wasn't, you know. But, uh, you know, Gorgeous George was a pretty darn successful wrestler and a heck of a manager. He was a very talented guy, Uh, you know. But the first segment wasn't over, thank goodness, because, you know, George would have had totally all of it. But uh, after the Stompers win and they cleared the studio, Les brought Joe LeDuc to the set. And he showed him, uh, you know, he showed back the video of the, of what Joe had done the night before and, and uh, a tug of war with 10 men. Uh, and they were right there in front of ringside in front of the big grandstand on that big, huge area where all the ringsiders and the ring set and uh, Joe pulled 10 guys across the line it was unbelievable man (laughs) you know uh so then les announced that that joe was going to do uh, another type of tug of war the following saturday and he was going to do it right there on tv uh so you know it was a little plug for you know what Joe's Joe's power and the end of that segment with the stomper. Mm -hmm. And then it also uh, teased a little bit for the next Saturday and doing one of these, a little different kind though. He's going to do this next one in the studio rather than have 10 men on the far end of the rope. He's going to put five on each side of him. He's going to put arms. He's going to put ropes around his biceps. He's going to lock his hands and he's going to keep them from pulling his hands apart.
0: Wow. Wow. I mean that's an intense show of strength right there. So I'd love to love to see that again. So who was uh, so? What about the first interview? Who was who? Who was set up for that?
1: Well, the stomper and then come back. Uh, you know, there there was their first match and they kind of were blown out of there. And I, I'm not so sure. Les didn't almost uh, get so mad at the gorgeous George that he sent for, for to get Joel the Duke out here so George don't kill his he kill his kill his. Uh, he has a uh, big moment there. So, anyway, uh, so the Stomper and uh, Gigi are in Studio B, and Joel Duke uh, is at the set with Les. He's about to have his first match ever the following Friday night with the Stomper. And uh, he was on fire with the fans, man. And uh, and he'd been there only three weeks at this point. Joel Duke's there three weeks, and those fans are loving him. Wow, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. So, Gigi starts out the interview with, the, you know, and he just keeps his ball rolling. He's got rolling already. He calls, uh, you know, Eddie. he says that he, he's nothing but a huge and immensely ignorant Canadian lumberjack. <laughs> you know, He <laughs> cut his arm. He, you know, he brought up that. He said, he took an ax to himself. He goes, what kind of ignorant guy does that? You know, and he said he's, he's he said he's probably just about as ignorant as a lot of these fans watching and cheering for him sitting over there. You know, so he got to get take a shot at the audience, and then uh, he says, "Joe the Duke's reputation as a tough guy is going to be horribly tainted next Friday night." He says, "Because my magnificent stomper is going to leave that lumberjack laying in the ring." Hmm. So uh, Joe was his turn, and Joe was no slouch himself at interview, and you know he tore back into Gigi, and and he started out. He told a quick story about Gigi's father. Uh, gorgeous George Sr. coming mm-hmm. to Montreal for a match, mm-hmm. going to the hair salon, the woman's hair salon, having wow. his hair done. <laughs> that was that was George George's, George's uh, normal yeah. woman, you know, oh, that's yeah. when he came, he, he always went to some place beautiful. Had locks. Locks. Yes. Oh yeah, had the beautiful hair and so yeah, did Gigi but... think he had the same hair as his daddy had. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then he uh, so so, and he said, uh, and Joe went on with the story and he says, you know, he got his hair done and he said, then that night he came to the match and he said, uh, during the match, somehow he broke a finger, just one of his fingers. Hmm. And he said, he started crying like a baby in the ring. He actually left the ring and he went to the dressing room because he only oh. broke one finger, you know? <laughs>
0: Like, one, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you know, Joe's making a statement to Gigi about what kind of man your daddy was, right? And uh, yeah. you know, and then and then he said that Gigi, the, the next Friday night, who uh, with him against uh, Gigi Stomper, that one broken finger would definitely not stop him from beating his stomper. He said, even if I broke my hand or my arm, it's not going to stop me from making the stomper bleed all over that ring. <laughs> so, so Joe was really having his fun too. And then the fans the next Friday night, he said, are, are going to see the most brutal match they've ever seen because Gigi Stomper is not going to quit. And he says, and neither am I. Mm-hmm. And uh, he finished by telling Gigi that next Friday night, would be the perfect time. He says, if you're going to get banned or you're not going to come, next Friday night it'd be a good time for you. He <laughs> said, because when I finish with your stopper, he says, I'm going to come looking for you. So boy, he got pops all during his little interview, Joe's interview. And the greatest thing about Joe LeDuc, man, uh, uh, and it was his believability and his expressions. And boy, during that interview, he displayed both of those attributes a lot, man. And and he wasn't lying about this upcoming match. It was the first between the two of them. And every one of them that follows this nasty, horrible, uh, terrible, brutal match is going to be just the same as this first one they have. So second match on the TV was by obviously the old perennial favorite himself, Ron Wright, man. And. He was greeted as if he hadn't been there in months on TV. The studio was on its feet, and Ron was just, uh, you know, uh, slapping backs, And, you know, it was a big party. And it didn't take long for them to get what they wanted either, you know. And you know what they were looking for, obviously. Because uh, when Ron started to ring, David Schultz was his partner, and Schultz attacked him on the way in. Once Ron was able to get control, man, he gave him a little bit of that good old Tennessee dog whooping. And, uh, boy, the studio was just rocking, man. So Ron Wright finished off for young David Schultz, and he went to the set for the second interview of the show. And he was wrestling a newcomer that was totally unknown to him. And, uh, so, and so, but old Ron, you know, since he didn't have a whole lot to say about the guy he was wrestling, he backed up to what had happened to him the night before in a match that he had lost. He said, I lost last night. I'm embarrassed about it. I wrestled this new guy, the, the pro, and he goes, you know, he said to Les, he said, Les, uh, do you think that there's any way you can get me a rematch? Uh, talk to the promoters and get me a rematch with that pro. Hmm. He said, uh, that guy kind of beat me up a little bit last night, and he said, you know, my reputation means a lot to me, and, uh, and he was kind of going on and really focusing on the pro who was wrestling somebody else, and out pops the pro right onto the set, Ron writes, kind of comes up behind Ron, Ron jumps up and they are face to face and the pro says to him, uh, you know, we don't have to wait for next week. he Billy. We can do it right here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, so Les got had Les had to get up and get between the two of men. And then he called for the break. Hey, we got to go to black. Hey, <laughs> let's, let's get out of this. So, uh, you know, that, uh, and that, that, that unexpected little interruption, man, that happened kind of spontaneously, uh, it, it is, uh, is as bookers, would would say that had, that had legs that little deal had real legs.
0: <laughs> that means effective. All right. So I'm I think that's what that means, but I know it's time for a break. That's for sure. I bet we're coming back and I bet I'm hoping anyway, Harley race on the personality profile. Am I right, Ron?
1: Man, you and Mister Pickles, man, y'all are getting smarter every week, Dave. Yes. I mean, <laughs> hey, uh, Dave, we got to put him on somewhere, and that's uh, that's best spot for him.
0: I got a gold star right there, y'all. All right, y'all, hang in there with us. We'll continue in a moment. Right here, this Studcast comes right back these are very exciting times for all of us associated with the stud never has he had so many things happening at once his new official home the youtube channel southeastern rewind is going to be something very special in the future it's already happening his recent tribute to lifetime friend mac an exclusive extra from the stud has gotten rave reviews from all over the world you can hear it anytime you want by simply going to youtube southeastern rewind subscribe now if if you haven't already, and ring the bell when you do subscribe. Another exclusive extra is also on its way. A true worldwide debut is coming Friday, July 9th, 2021, when you'll be able to hear, for the first time ever, the Funk Brothers Uncut in a wonderful impromptu interview done 27 years ago. We want to thank everyone for your support, and we're working hard every day to continue to bring you the very best in wrestling entertainment every day. Coming soon, USA Championship Wrestling's actual TV shows from 1988 in sequence. Hey, welcome back, stud fans. David Summers with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. And don't forget, while you're you're listening to the Studcast, it's a great time to head over to YouTube and make sure you subscribe to Ron's new channel, Southeastern Rewind. YouTube.com, and then search for Southeastern Rewind. Make sure you subscribe, get all the information right here, and details are on the way. So here we go, Stud. The NWA World Champion is next. Tell us about it.
1: Well, Rob and I have been discussing this TV all week. Uh, Even though we're long-distance calling one another, I'm not there with him in the Harley race. Uh, We do something totally different here. We put uh, Harley Race, uh, sent in an interview. We slapped that interview up with a big picture of Harley and his 10 pounds of gold uh, all the way across the back of Les there. And we do this personality profile from the normal set. And we had never done that before for a personality profile. And uh, that big screenshot of Harley and the big belt, man, it made quite an impression on Rob and Les because they both me after the show and told me wow ron it looked unbelievable wow with that with that shot to open the profile so then harley's interview you know uh he, he they said to me you know was was he was in rare form too pretty much covered all that had happened to me while i was trying to get back to wrestling him again for this next world title shot he mentioned something about they said my recent injury from mr knoxville and then he said, "You know how sorry he felt for me, having been so close to that second shot at his belt, but uh, it ended like that, you know, uh, that that pitiful way, like that." And then he kind of laughed about it. But then he turned his attention to the man of the hour, and uh, the guy, as he called, uh, you know, the man of the hour, and he he said, "He called him the Marine, the man with the muscles, Mister Nice Guy, Bob Armstrong." Wow. You know. Yeah. He said, "He said fans everywhere. They, they love this guy. You know, uh, they and they and you know. And he says this guy is really, really good. Not many. There's not many he can't beat out there. You know. And he said, but next Friday night, right here in Hillbilly Heaven, Knoxville, Tennessee, he says <laughs> Bob Armstrong and I are going to have. He's going to have to beat the baddest man on God's green earth. And then he said something about having to admit." he'd rather wrestled Ron Fuller than Bob Armstrong <laughs> because uh, last time we wrestled two in one-hour draw because I was a lot younger than Bob Armstrong. I was less experienced than Bob Armstrong. And uh, he, he said, to be honest with you, you know, I don't think Ron Fuller has the skills that this, this Marine Bob Armstrong really has. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, he, he put Bob over, he you know, which is really good. Champions yeah. should do yeah. that, you know. He yeah, said yeah. he expected a really tough match, but he said, in the end, marine or not, Armstrong could in no way ever beat him. He mm-hmm. said, "Come Friday night, he was going to prove to to, to everyone in that huge old amphitheater out there in High Park that after all, Bob Armstrong was just a man, but Harley race, I'm much more than just a man he He said, I am the." man. Wow.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Wow.
1: So we ended it that way, man. Uh, you know, went straight right into the ring. Next match, with Tony Charles and Rob uh, got a big old pop out of the crowd uh, after, you know, that interview. Be, it was good to have a good baby face team in there. And those two guys made a great tag team. Uh, wow. They they really had a lot of and going, a lot of stuff going on. And uh, the fans then heard, you know, Rob and Tony uh, also, uh, they, after the match was over, uh, they got a quick win, and they made interview. And on the other studio was the Southeastern Tag Champions, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. Last match of the show was Bob Armstrong. Uh, boy, and he tore the house down. Uh, Rob says, now, I, I'm on I'm the other side of the state. I got to just take what they tell me happened. But, uh, you know, Rob said, wow, Bob tore the house down like he always does. And then he went to the set. And uh, him and Les watched this interview. So before I left town, I knew Bob was going to be wrestling against Harley. I cut an interview and I left it for two weeks later. They aired it two weeks later. And uh, they brought Bob to the set. And then before he got into talking about what he was going to do, they played my interview. And I wished him luck and said, Man, if anybody was going to take my place, I couldn't pick a better guy than you. You know, and. Uh, so he took my comments and then he took those comments that race had made about him and boys, Bob always does. He ran with him, man. I mean, uh, uh, Rob says he tore him house down, Ron. He just, he set it up big time. And, uh, Robbie, you know, that Rob and Les both said he was truly magnificent. So man, stage set for another huge night in Southeastern wrestling history, man. Wow. It sounds like it. So,
0: what happened six days later on that same, the NWA World Title
1: card? Well, Ron Wright he opened up the win. He opened up the night with a with it wasn't a big win. He was wrestling a guy that wasn't too good. Guy's name was Grady Odom, and uh, Ron got him a pretty quick win. Uh, then Norvell Austin beat Mike Pappas. Uh, then the pro, the new big boy, uh, you know, he put Tommy Rich to sleep. And in this match, and then he did the same thing to him that we talked about him doing a couple of weeks ago on TV. Once Tommy was out, he got over top of him and jerked him off the mat, and he kind of ragdolled him, man. He just swung him all around, and the referee says, you gotta let him go, let let him go. He wouldn't let him go. The referee first tried to raise his hand, then he disqualified him and ended up raising Tommy's hand. But uh, once he disqualified him, the Pro just hung on to Tommy and the ref couldn't stop him. And he started ringing the bell and uh, Ron Wright came, came from the dressing room, which in the amphitheater is not like the Coliseum way in the back of the building. It sits right there on the stage, this this big stage area where the ring is and probably 600 ringsiders. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's got a real short walk to the ring and he came not just walking, but he came running down to the ring and he nailed the pro from behind and they, fought out under the floor uh, and then they fought back to the pro's dressing room. So uh, obviously right there, there's a return match for the following week. So we got one match for next week in the bag at this point. So Rob and Tony Charles, they wrestled the tag team champions, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton jr. To a 45 minute time limit draw. Neither team won bell rang at the end of 45 minutes. According to less, it was an absolutely tremendous match. And it was it's also gonna be coming back on the next week's card, but this time it's gonna be extended to a one hour time limit. The next match between LeDuc and the Stomper was was unlike anything I'm sure fans had ever seen before, period. And you know they'd seen a lot of stuff in Knoxville at this point. But these two monsters beat each other up, man. There was blood everywhere. Uh, LeDuc and Stomper, in their first match ever, gave the fans an idea of what to expect every time they're going to meet afterward. Match was stopped. Uh, first referee got knocked down. Second referee came, to he got knocked down. They both got knocked down again, according to Les, and uh, they basically got bounced all over the park. They fought off the the stage area and down into the grandstand area. It was just totally wild. And uh, so Bob Armstrong and Harley Race, uh, they ended the night uh, with the fans going crazy. Uh, Rob watched this match, and he told me about it. He said it ended in disqualification of Harley Race. And uh, he he said about 30 minutes into it, Bob had Harley really going. And he was hitting him with those big old right hands, man, that Bob was getting really good at. Uh, He was jacking jaws is what he was doing. (laughs) That's the way Bob called it. I'm going to jack these jaws, man. So uh and Harley went down according to Rob a couple of times and uh and uh, Bob covered him and uh, finally after the second time he was down and he managed to get back to his feet, he kind of staggered backward into a corner and Bob just came charging in there on him and got up on the uh, bottom rope and started just rifling him with him big old hard right hands and and Harley uh Harley went in desperation. He what else is he gonna do? Because Bob's just about to beat him here, man. Uh, he just crotched him and dumped him right over the top rope, and wow. uh, that was an automatic uh, disqualification. But it intentionally saved uh, Harley's belt, obviously.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, well, we for- we forget about the over the top rule uh, rope rule from back then because if you threw back then if you threw a man over the top rope, that was it. Everything was stopped.
1: Yeah, that was the end of it automatically, and a lot of champions used that man. Yeah. <laughs> to get so, to keep their belts well and and
0: probably the best thing to do for harley race to keep his belt especially with an extremely fired up uh, bob armstrong so wow that sounds like a huge night for the fans and i, I bet you busted the gates open
1: well let me told me you know when i talked he called me right after the, after they counted tickets and everything and he said ron you could tell by looking it was a lot bigger than the previous friday night which there's Grandstand was pretty full the previous Friday night. and uh, So he said the ticket count was 6,300, which was equal, almost exactly equal to the same size of the crowd at the Coliseum two months earlier. When, and, uh, you,
0: when you faced Harley Race.
1: When I faced Harley Race. Yeah, it was yeah. almost exactly the same size crowd as when I wrestled Harley Race. So uh, what that told me, though, was that fact that the amphitheater was probably going to be even larger than the Coliseum because the amphitheater had a huge grandstand, but on the sides of that grandstand, there was big patches of grass on Mm -hmm. both sides of the grandstand and all across the top of it. And uh, I asked Les, I said, how many people were sitting in the grass? And he goes, not too many. So that to me said, wow, we that's our biggest facility is the amphitheater rather than the coliseum, so uh, I was looking forward to uh, maybe putting some more title matches in the in the big amphitheater.
0: So you uh, you were looking for well wh- how many do you think you could have put on the grass?
1: Oh, I think uh, th- there was a lot of grass area. Potentially, maybe another thousand.
0: And the, and there's a good seats. I mean, people can see down into the to the amphitheater.
1: Just as good as the grandstand. Fantastic. Wow. There wasn't a bad seed in that facility. They were all tremendous seeds. So there's a potential there for maybe for another thousand.
0: Yeah, and another good reason to to kind of investigate and kind of keep an eye on Chill Park when you've got a huge event. So uh, good thinking there. All right, so I think it is time for our learning tree question, Ron. And set it up for us. Who? What was it and who asked it?
1: Well, Daryl Phil- Phillips uh, asked this question, and uh, he says, "What are your thoughts or opinions on the 1977 split of the Memphis territory between Jerry Jarrett and your father, Buddy Fuller, and Nick Gulas out of Nashville?" Uh, so there's a war going on in Tennessee in 1977. We've been swapping talent with Jarrett and Dad uh, for for a while, and and uh, yeah, I got lots of thoughts, uh, Daryl, about the. Uh, about this split and uh, and an opinion too uh you know i thought nick gulis should have been smart enough not to rock the boat uh because he since prior to you know him him falling out uh he owned part of memphis and he was making a lot of money out of memphis you know so he was getting money every week from crowds big old crowds in memphis when he couldn't draw big crowds in the cities he was operating in and he didn't even have to go there i mean he was he was part of it and uh and he decided he wanted to get be the guy he wanted all of it so uh so you know uh i think uh you know he instigated basically the conflict uh by trying to to get his own tv station in memphis uh once my once my grandfather had retired, he gave Dad his his stock, basically, and he told Dad that I, I'd like to see you work with Jerry Jarrett. He's a good guy. And uh, so it left uh, Nick kind of on his own, in a way. But instead of just letting it all go and let him, let him take it and let him deal with Memphis, uh, he decided, I'm going to take Memphis from them. So, you know, so uh, before, you know... He, he kind of instigated it all and, uh, and uh, he was having enough problems just running Nashville, Birmingham and Chattanooga, there's three big cities. And, you know so uh, he couldn't run his own territory so what a joke of him trying to take somebody else's. So my opinion is that you know it could have been easily taken over uh, his part of the Tennessee territory. If they had wanted to, they're the ones that could have gone into his TV stations and got on their stations his station because his program was horrible. They had a good TV show with Lance Russell, a tremendous commentator. Uh, Nick had nothing compared to what they had. And uh, he would have been an easy target if they had, they want to go get him, but they didn't want to. He had horrible wrestlers. He had horrible bookers. And, and he was constantly pushing his talentless son, George, a, as his champion. You know, yeah. So it all of that made Nick extremely vulnerable. So, so I was about to close at this point, uh, uh, the deal to buy, uh, Alabama, if, which is going to be my next wrestling company. And I could have easily taken one of his best markets, Birmingham, uh, in the late 1970s. You know, I was already, I was already in Alabama at this point and the Florida panhandle over in the Mississippi, but that wasn't my way of doing business, you know, so. Uh, after about three years after this 1977 war, my southeastern Pensacola company bought Birmingham from Nick. Uh, and we could have taken it anytime we wanted to, but I felt like, uh, uh, you know, I had it was kind of like a, me showing Nick the respect of having been my grandfather's partners for 30 years. and uh, And I felt like maybe he deserved enough respect to not take it, but to buy it. So uh, that 1977 war for Memphis, the best thing about it was it was a short war. And thankfully, it didn't damage the great wrestling city that Memphis was, unlike the 1979 war we're going to get to uh, in Knoxville that actually destroyed the tremendous territory. So Jared, my father, continued to have success in Memphis for many years to come.
0: Wow, stud, you just keep cranking out great stud cast. We cannot wait for the next one. All right, folks on Facebook to become friends with Ron, do not go to his Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page. It is full at this time. Go to either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud Facebook page or his author Ron Fuller Welch page. Then simply follow him there and automatically become friends with a legend. On Twitter and Instagram, follow him at both at Ron Fuller Welch on Twitter and Instagram. Super Studcast number 42 is absolutely loaded. One of Australia's stars, superstar Bill Dundee talks about handling elephants in the Australian circus before beginning his wrestling career and his shoot with macho man Randy Savage, no less, in part two. B. Brian Blair tells about the killer bees wrestling in 40 countries, his many injuries and surgeries, and being president of the prestigious cauliflower alley club with wrestlers from all over the world. This super studcast has it all at Tnstud.com or Patreon.com slash studcast. Three hours, only two ninety-nine. They are definitely still the best old school DVDs out there. The Southeastern Continental Collectors Edition. It's a five DVD pack. It has 67 matches, more than 12 hours of tremendous action. See for yourself why these two companies lit up the wrestling world for so many years. Own your piece of pure wrestling history at TNstud.com. Click stud store. Some of the greatest stars in history are on these dvds only 39.99 with free shipping and brutus ron's best story ever has terrorized readers around the world a man-eating lion is secretly sent to an american zoo but tragically ends up loose in the great smoky mountains national park it has more than fifty five star ratings on amazon some say it's the next jaws Read the reviews at Amazon.com Brutus Novel. Get the book or the special autographed copy at TNStud.com. Click Stud Store with free shipping or Amazon.com Brutus Novel. You've never read anything like this. Saddle up and subscribe today. Begin your ride of the Studs YouTube channel Southeastern Rewind. Join. Ring the bell, and he'll ring your bell every time something new is added to the channel. Don't miss the Mac, the man who saved Southeastern Tribute, and this Friday, the never-before-heard Funk Brothers interview from 27 years ago. Saddle up now at YouTube, Southeastern Rewind. Ring the bell and begin your ride into old school history. All right, Stud, where do we ride next week?
1: Well, next week's uh, today's training. Obviously, we kind of got into it, and you asked me the question, man. It'll be kind of the part three of this thing that uh, this little trip I'm making across the state to, to visit with my dad and Bolivar, and uh, we're gonna talk about uh, we're gonna talk about uh, was I being forced? Uh, I'm going to actually in this next one, Dave, uh, be forced into a shoot at my father's match in uh, Bolivar, Tennessee, one in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, fans going to challenge a wrestler, and nobody in the dressing room is re- willing to take him. And uh, even though I'm just coming off an injury, I say, what the hell, guys? Somebody's got to go out there and show you guys what to do. Hmm. So uh, so we're going to talk about that one next week. Uh, we're going to be entering July 1977, and it's going to be the third annual Summer Battle Royal and another great card. Uh, the TV for the first time ever is going to have a tug of war on there between Joel, Duke and 10 men. Plus we're going to have the results of the battle Royal card and we'll announce the attendance. And the learning tree question is, uh, about, uh, have I ever considered producing a series of instructional videos on shoot wrestling?
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. So we'll get an answer to that next week. That's cool. All right. So it sounds like a special stud cast next week, just like every week, in my opinion. You having a shoot while visiting your father, a huge battle royal night, a ten man tug of war on TV, no less. And would you consider instructional videos on shoot wrestling? So, all right, you've got a you got a lot lot of work cut out for you on that one.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, you know, we're 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 gonna we're gonna have to see if we can uh, we we might have to take some of the stuff out of here, man, in order to fit it into an hour, or a little more than an hour. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I look forward to this next one, man. This this is going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I think there's going to be a whole lot of things in this next one that fans haven't heard. So uh sounds like a, a lot of shooting, basically, for me next week, one way or the other. And, and I want to, as always, man, thank everyone for listening and especially for continuing to sign up for my YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind. And hope you enjoyed the show today, everybody, and uh, please tell your friends about us. And uh, all of you, take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all.
0: Wow, another great time, Stud. This is David Summers thanking you for joining us and reminding you that Ron Fuller Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So fool Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One,
1: two, three.
0: This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.